so true. We're going to be jumping into uh, Romans 13 today, so I'm going to invite you to join uh, with me in prayer. Uh, Pastor Mike, you're, you're working on that sound that's coming through? Thank you. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, come together, we, we come together as your people at a time when we celebrate Thanksgiving. And it's hard this year uh, to hear voices, you know, suggest that maybe we don't join together, but I think we will. And Lord, as we come together, we come together under a word that promises us that you're present, even in the midst of hard things that are going on in our country. Lord, we're going to get into that a little bit today. So uh, this is not the easiest section to digest uh, from a personal perspective, but we pray, Lord, that you'll help us do just that. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. I'm going to start. I'll bring us into this. Last last week, we kind of finished off chapter 12 of Romans. I'm going to recap the very end of it because I think it's important to realize how these pieces of the puzzle go together. Right. So up to this point, if you can, if you follow it, you know, Paul's been taking the listeners on a journey and he's been talking to people that are predominantly Jewish converts into Christianity. And as Jews, they've grown up believing that, um, hey, you know what? These Gentiles, these people that are not part of the, the called out body of God are unclean. And we should separate ourselves from them. Now, mind you, God never really called for that. Uh, when you go back into the Old Testament and you think about God's raising up of what we call Israel today, physical Israel, God's intention was, Israel, you're supposed to be a light for the entire world. Uh, people see your light and they come to faith in, in the Messiah through, through you. So you don't withdraw from the world uh, and, and then say, well, we're the, the called ones and you're the unclean ones. No, you're, you're actually to bring my, my word to the rest of the world. But by the time we get to Jesus, that's become corrupt. Right? Just said, no, we're, we're the called ones. We're over here. They're the unclean ones. So Romans starts off as a hard book for these new Christians to digest because Paul is kind of doing this with them. He's saying, no, 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 no. Think about this. Who are you? Well, we're Israel. Yes, you're Israel. But what is Israel? It's all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, not just the physical body, but all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And your calling is not to withdraw from the world. It's actually to go out into the world with this gospel. We read Romans today and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For the, the initial listeners, this is, I mean, just get this in you. This is really hard stuff. Um, does it have an equivalency in our culture today? I believe that it does, but it's more subtle. In America today, in the American church today, we're like, oh, yeah, the gospel is for everyone. We, we've gotten that. We recognize that. But we still live in a culture that likes to otherize people that are different than us. And it's why I believe so many outside of Christianity continue to look at the church and use words like, well, the, the church is a body of people that are judgmental, that, that hate, that sh show the hate, and um, uh, we, want nothing to, we want nothing to do with it. So what makes chapter 12 so significant is here comes Paul and he says, well, listen, you can't hate. As you go out, 
into, into the culture amongst people that are different than you, people who you, you've been used to thinking of as unclean. You, you don't hate, in fact, oppositely, and unless you learn to love them, you will never, ever be able to reach them. So how I live, who I am, matters as much as the message that I bring. How, how, who I am, how I live matters as much as the message I bring. I, I was thinking about this today, and uh, the, the name that comes to my mind is Stephen Covey. Uh, you've heard me talk about Stephen Covey before. Uh, he is deceased. I would like to say that I believe he's in heaven, but I'm not sure I do. He was a Mormon. Despite being a Mormon, his, his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has, has for many years you know, helped share some really actually scriptural principles with people. One of which is this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a, that's a covey, right? Um, the reason that great politicians and speech givers often fail to connect with people is the people look at the person and say, well, they don't care. They don't care about me. And so your words are blah, blah, blah. They may be the greatest speech in the world. But in the end, you know what? There's no speech you even care that I exist. If all this is is some kind of monetary transaction or, or, or some transaction of the word, no thank you. No thank you. And so what, what Paul is doing is saying, yes, look at how you live. And the very first layer of bricks that should form the foundation of our lives as carriers of the gospel is built out of bricks that spell out L-O-V-E. Love people. Yes, people that are different than you. Yes, people that are stuck in sin. Love them. And if you do not, then we carry the gospel out and it's not heard. It is pushed back against. If you go to um, verse 14 of chapter 12, I'll move through this very quickly because I want to get us into uh, chapter 13 today. Here He's saying things like this. Listen, when you go out and you live, bless people who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. In other words, people that are, are coming against you, that, that maybe even hate you for who you are, what you stand for. Is that possible? Yeah, it is. Um, what should you do with those people? Seek heaven for them, not hell. I mean, when the Bible says don't curse them, it's not talking about, say, bad words to them. No. When you curse someone, you actually wish them to go to hell. You know, it's, uh, it's me teaching. So I used to teach, uh, when I would teach confirmation, and we would teach the, uh, the second commandment. Remember the second commandment? You shall not, what? Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, and I, I would walk around and I'd do this. I'd be like, just imagine I'm walking, I go like this. Oh, God! You know the next word, right? Damn this chair. Now what have I just said? Whenever you say that, God, damn, here's what I'm doing. I'm walking around. Oh, God, send the chair to hell. That's what I'm doing. Asking God to send a chair to hell. That's real good, right? Um, when I say that about a person, imagine what I'm saying. 
I'm speaking to a person, a person made to be an image bearer of God. And I say, you know what? You're hurting me, so I, I hope God puts you in hell. No. What's he saying? You've got to love people. If they, what if they persecute me? What if they do things I don't like? Love them. Ask, let's seek heaven for them. Seek heaven for their, for their souls. That's just powerful stuff. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I thought about that about 7 p.m. <clears throat> yesterday. They on the TV, one of the uh, Illinois football players had uh, sent out a tweet yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. True, true. Sent out a tweet that said, uh, Nebraska, thanks for bringing Big Ten football back. That game was fun. Listen, this says weep with those who weep, brother. <laughs> Join us in this right now. This one hurts. Um, kind of makes you, makes you angry, right? Uh, verse 16, live, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but actually associate with, that means have relationship with, those who are considered the, the low, Right? Think about in Dallas, Texas, this art dealer who uh, sold multi-million dollar pieces of art to very wealthy clients. That was his job. I'm like, oh, maybe. I mean, I suppose that could be a job. Um, you know, how would you like to make like $5 million a year just selling paintings to people? That's what he did. So his wife served um, soup in a soup kitchen uh, downtown in Dallas. And uh, she would invite him, why don't you come out to the soup kitchen with me? And he finally, he'd say, okay, well, maybe I'll come out. And he didn't mind going with her from time to time, he says, because it scored brownie points between him and his wife. And he didn't mind doing things for, I want you to hear this, he didn't mind doing things for the poor. That changed one day. When his wife said this to him, imagine your wife saying this to you guys. I've been praying. And God has placed it on my heart. And I believe he's calling you to become a good friend, a good friend with one of the men here at the soup kitchen. And in his book that is titled Same Kind of Different as Me, this art dealer just comes clean, just spills it out honestly and says, I listened to my wife talk about becoming friends with one of these homeless men. And I thought to myself, you're out of your mind. I don't mind serving them soup. But I, I, no way I'm becoming a friend than I am. And uh, he fought that, he fought that um, prayer for quite a time until one day um, his wife said, are you going to, are you going to act on God's calling or you're not? And he came up to a man very different than himself and says, hey, I want, I want to be your friend. And... Um, and the guy knew he was being a fake right away. And said, yeah, you want to be my friend about as much as white people, you know, catch fish. And they, they throw them back. That's the kind of friend you're going to be. 
He was convicted by that. And ultimately, he did go on to befriend someone very different than him. This is, when it says associate with those who are, lowly, who, are, who are low, it's not saying, okay, I want you to just kind of go feed soup to people. He's saying, I want you to develop relationships develop relationships with those who are different than you and broken with you. These are hard words. If you think this is easy, it's not. Uh, one of the hardest things in our lives as Christians is when God places on your heart, I'm, I'm to serve this person. They're different than I am. Yes, Mike. Yes. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a book and a movie. It's called Same Kind of Different as Me. Same Kind of Different as Me. Really a great, great book. Look at verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. This, this has challenged me this last week. Jason Probasco, I know you like weekly challenges. This is a good one. He says, he says um, um, yeah, um, do not, let me get this, yeah. Do not repay, repay no one evil for evil, but here, here's this word I want you to hear. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is what kind of caught me, is this word right here, pronumenoi. Where it says, give thought to do what is honorable, here's the word that caught me, pronumenoi. Do you hear pro in there? You know what it means? Before. Here's what he's saying. You got a whole seven days in front of you. It's Thanksgiving week. Before you go into these next seven days, be thinking about how to honor someone else. Be thinking about it right now. Who are you going to honor? How are you going to honor them? When I say honor, I'm not just saying slap them on the back and tell them, hey, I honor you. I'm talking about serve them. Lift them up. Let them know. You know what? You mean a lot to me. And you mean a lot to God. Honor them. Be thinking ahead of time. Um, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be a peacemaker, be living peaceably. And then he says, beloved 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave, leave it to the orge, the wrath of God, for it is written. I'm going to read this a little bit differently. So hang on one second. I want to get this right. Um, it has been given to me to place this against you, says the Lord. Now our Bibles read like this. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's our English Bible. And sometimes I think we read it this way. With actual hatred in our guts, we read it that way. We're like, you know what? You did this to me, and the Bible says I'm not supposed to do anything back to you. Because you know what? God is going to repay you. Vengeance belongs to God, and I hope he smites you to hell. That's how we read it. I mean, let's be honest. It's kind of how we do it. We're like, you know what? I, that's what I hope. Okay, so what? Vengeance isn't mine. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'll step back. God, zap him with lightning because I want to clap when you do. That's, that's kind of how we read it. It's not what it says here. It says, in the, actual, the actual wording up underneath it is, it has been given to me to place against you. It's talking about the law. It's talking about the law. That's what God places against you. God is saying, I will place the law against those who have violated the law. And, and guess what? Here's where vengeance comes in. You know where God put his vengeance? On the cross of Jesus Christ. For you and for me. And so what he's saying is you, you don't repay evil. 
Look at the cross. What did God do with your evil? How did he pay for it with his son's blood? And so leave that in God's hands. Because when the law comes against someone, there's only one thing that is able to rescue them, and it's that blood of Jesus Christ. And then he closes out this way, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a quote out of Proverbs 25. And all he's saying is not it's going to but by, by serving them, you're seeking to bring them to repentance. You're seeking to bring them to Jesus. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It kind of closes off this chapter then by just saying, look at the way I live, and the way I live will impact the way people receive the words that I give. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. This just deepens that to a new level and says, come with the love of Jesus Christ as you interact with people. All right, let's put ourselves in the place of the Romans. We're the church. We're listening to this. We get to the end of Paul's speech here in chapter 12, and we do something like this. Holy cow. Uh, this is not going to be easy. But we understand what you're calling us to do as we go out into the world. We're supposed to love people, not repay evil. Okay, we got all that. But what about the stinking government? What about them? I'll tell you what. If you're telling me that I've got to live peaceably and be a peacemaker with my neighbor and the guy that I work with, okay, I can do it. But what about that stinking government? Remember when this is being written. This is not being written during a time when the government was actually a bunch of good guys. No, not, not whatsoever. This is a time when Rome is being governed by psychopaths, right, who hate Christians. And now all of a sudden, Paul is going to address not only the way that we live with one another, this impacting my witness, but what do I do with those who govern? What do I do with that? Because that kind of plays into this too. Now all of a sudden, we who are Americans start to get a little bit squeamish and uncomfortable. I want you just to follow this. We're going to have a little bit of fun with it. Chapter 13. Let's see where Paul starts. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I think this is kind of interesting how he starts because I want you to listen to this. Let every K, let every K be subject to governing authorities. Let every suke be subject to governing authorities. I'm saying that word because I want you to get it in your head. Whenever the Bible uses the term suke, we translated it into English as person. Here's what it means. Soul. Soul. What Paul is going to talk about is our relationship to those who govern. We tend to say, uh, that's a political matter. Paul says, ah, uh -uh. it's a soul matter. It's a spiritual matter. The way that you relate to those who govern is a spiritual matter. And so when he starts the address in chapter 13, he's right away grabbing hold of the people who are listening and saying, this is a soul matter now that we're going to talk about. Now that you've raised the question, what about the stinking government? How am I supposed to live in respect to them? This is a soul matter. Let 
soul be subject. Uh, the word is the word Pastor Mike gave us here uh, last week, hypotasso, hypo meaning underneath, tasso to place underneath. And so he's saying you're being placed underneath, become placed underneath. Uh, by the way, typically becoming placed underneath those who govern is not an act on our part. I just want to say that. I don't want to be subject to anyone. My old Adam, from the minute I wake up to the time that I go to bed, wants to be in control of me. My rights, my desires, my wants, I'm in control. Here's what God does to us. Through his word, he starts putting that old person inside of me to death. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I will take you and hupo toss always think of that word toss like I'm tossing you underneath this authority. You don't want to do it. But guess what? It's what I've called you to. This is a soul matter. Let every soul come underneath, be placed underneath those who are authorities. Okay? I can deal with them as long as they're good. If they're good authority, I, I'm ready to come underneath them. If they have my same political ideologies, then I'll come under them. If they, if they subscribe to my way of, of thinking in life, then, I, then I'll come under them. It's not what it says. I have to tell you that there's not a single in Rome at the time this is being written and, and in the years to come. Any Christian would say, I think I ought to come underneath that person. One of them, you would look and say, there's no way in the world God would want me to come underneath this particular ruler. Look at them. They're godless hate Christians, kill Christians, tax, tax, tax Christians, unemployed Christians. I am not coming underneath that person. Here's Paul. This is a soul matter. I'm talking to you. And, and I, I'm telling you, I know you don't want to. But the way that you live in a relationship, not only to the people in your neighborhood and the people you play sports with, but the way you relate to the people who, I, who govern, that will impact your ability to bring the gospel to others. So come underneath them. In fact, he says, uh, just look at these next words, there is no authority except from God, period. Are you telling me that Adolf Hitler had his authority from God. You cannot possibly be telling me that Mao Zedong, the greatest mass murderer in all of history, minus um, our American uh, way of life that has killed more, far more than Mao Zedong. Um, you can't tell me that I'm supposed to be subject to him. You can't tell me that God, that through God's authority, that, that that person has, you can't tell me this, okay? I'm not telling you this. God is telling you this. Listen to this. This is exclusive. There is no, just circle that word if you want to. There is no, except from God. He establishes it. And if you go back and you look at you look at what that means. We, we recognize that God establishes offices, right, for the purpose of governing. 
There's a purpose behind govern governance. We recognize that here in this text. But then there are people who are placed into those offices. Um, does God say, hey, I think I want a mass to become the ruler of this country? No. But is God surprised by it? No, he's not. It's always under God's authority that this takes place. It, trust me, listen to this. The God who said, let there be light, who hung a sun, sun in the air, if he wanted to, tell me I'm wrong. If he wanted to, just like that, Mayo Satan would not be the ruler of anything. It's the authority of God that he... Now, does God like that he's a mass murderer, that he's killing Christians by the millions? No. Just like he doesn't like Nero is doing the same thing. Right? But guess what? God says, I will utilize everything that happens under this particular person's leadership in the office that I have established. I've created this office for a purpose. Even if this person abuses the intention that I have, the purpose that I have for this office, even if they abuse that, which many do, I will still use that in my plan to bring people to me, including Mayo Satan. And, um, and I, I believe when you look even at the history of, of life in China under, under Mayo and what's happening uh, amongst the people there, that, that God did in fact use Mayo to bring many Chinese who were otherwise atheists to come to know Jesus Christ during that time. The underground church began to start and began to grow underneath that time. So when we look at authorities, <clears throat> God isn't saying, hey, I want you to place yourself under the good ones. There is no authority apart from what I have instituted. Um, I kind of made a note to myself here because uh, it just is coming up here in our um, little city. And this is maybe a Kind of, kind of a good example of, of maybe what we're talking about, just tested at the granular level. Let's get down to that granular level. Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, this Tuesday. What will happen at the city council? Well, no one really knows. But pretty high, pretty high odds that our city council will do what? They will create what is called a mask mandate. Do they have the authority to do that? Now, some people would argue, well, no, they don't. Our governor says there can't be a mass mandate. No, he didn't say that. He said, I will not establish a state mandate. Can a city establish a mandate? Well, they can. Right? Do they have that authority? Who gave it to them? You're reading the same. Who gave it to them? Yeah, God established the, the office, the people in the office, whether we agree with them or not, they have the authority to establish it, right? Now, um, what is my response to it as a Christian? As a Christian, what is my response to it? By the way, you know, we've operated here, and I'll just say this again so everybody hears it loud and clear. We've operated here. We've said we, we believe, based on Romans 13, that we ought to come underneath the authority of those who govern us. That's what we are as Christians. So... We have consistently throughout this entire process of COVID said, hey, we're, this is what the, those who govern say, so we're asking that we do that. Um, we've also said 
there's there's not going to listen. This is a church. You're, nobody's going to come up to you and say, "Hey, you're you get out of this church. You're out of this church." No, that's not going to happen. Well, that's not the question I'm asking. The question that I'm asking is, as a Christian, does this does this apply? And there's a part of me that wants to say, well, well, no. Here's the distinction I would make. Is it wrong for me to disagree with a mask mandate? No, it's not. It's not wrong to disagree with that. You, potentially, you're disagreeing with, with, with some science, but it's not wrong to disagree with that. Um, if I want to fight that, how ought I do that? Through the means that God has provided. Do you have means? You do, actually. Um, can you speak out and say, hey, look, I, I understand our city. I'm sending you this note. You're a governor of this city, and I'm sending you this note. I don't think we should do this. Sure, you can do that. That's, that's appropriate. That's right. Here's what's, not, here's what's not appropriate, according to Romans 13. For me to simply look at that governing authority, who I disagree with, if I disagree with them, and say, I'm not doing it. I told you we'd get uncomfortable today. Um, why am I saying this? Well, because Paul starts this letter off with this word, suke. That's why I'm saying it. We want to say, well, this is a political matter. Actually, Paul says, I don't care about politics. I don't care about them. Here's what I care about, souls. How I live in relationship to those who govern True or false impacts my ability to witness. It does. I like to say it doesn't, but it does. And so here, here's Paul. And listen, they, these words were not just, they, they're shocking to us today. They weren't not just, not just today, but listen, when, they, when people heard these words for the first time, they're like, what? Are you serious? Do you know what Nero is doing? Do you understand what he's doing to us? We're not coming underneath that. No, no, no. Now, God would say, listen, if you want to spend your time with politics like that, there are means to do that, go after them. But guess what? I'm tossing you under those who are in authority. Them does matter. The way you relate to them does matter. In fact, go to verse number two. Here's how much it matters. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, you think you're resisting then you're not. He says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. You're actually resisting God. That's, that's pretty strong language. I, do I want to come up against God? Not really. Um, okay. And those who resist will incur, uh, and the word here is crisis, crisis, judgment. And so he's literally saying, this, you cannot just put this into the category of this is a political issue. It's separate from my, my church beliefs and what I believe is. No, this is a matter of soul. And actually what's happening is you're standing against God. You're getting in his way. And you're saying, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Now, there is a time when we ought to disobey the government. There is, right? When the government commands me to do that which God has commanded me not to do, I... By all means, Acts chapter 5 says resist it. Now, now I have absolute grounds for saying, wait, you're, you're under God's authority. You're calling me to do something which he has said, uh, no. 
And, and then you can flip that upside down whenever our government says, I'm calling you not to do that which God has commanded you to do. Again, I have every right to disobey civil authority. It's why I cannot be, me, Luke, Luke personally, why I could not be a missionary in China right now. Um, because when you, when you go as a missionary to China, by the way, they'll never call you a missionary. You don't want to even use that term. But as I go as a, as a social worker into China, i.e. missionary, I come under an authority that says you may not challenge the Chinese law that restricts births. Now, my understanding is they've gone from a one-child policy to, I think it's now a two-child policy. But the, the bottom line is the policy that exists in China says if you have more than two children, you will kill them. You will put them to death in the womb, abort them. I couldn't be in China and stand up in a pulpit and say, hey, I think that we can support that policy. Now you're commanding me. If you're telling me, Luke, you can't say, you can't stand in a pulpit and challenge that. I would say I will civilly disobey you because God has called me to disobey you. Uh, so there are times when we are, we are given the right to civil disobedience. Outside of those times, what we're called to is to come again, be placed underneath the authorities of those who God has put into position. And he's put them into that position for a reason. Look at verse the rulers are not a fear. A terror is this translation to good conduct, but to bad. The, the, the purpose of government, government of those who govern is to bring fear into the lives of, of, of people. He says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You receive approval. For he is God's, this is interesting to me, the term that's used here is diakonos. We've translated English as deacon. Um, we, we would look at it in the New Testament as a word that applies to, to the one who serves. So he says he is God's deacon or servant for your good. The purpose of government is to provide an environment in which Christianity can flourish. I've always looked at it that way. Um, to me, when I look at different you know, polit polit politicians, their platforms, their ideas, the way that they're going to govern, do I have as a citizen on the kingdom of the of left, as a citizen of this, do I have ideas? Do I say to myself, I like this person's ideas better than I like that person's ideas? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a citizen as much as any of you are. Okay. I believe as a citizen, I'll, I'll vote for this person. When somebody takes an office, here's what I'm committed to. Exactly what Romans calls us to. I am going to come underneath your authority. Now, I may use proper right means to try to change laws or policies that I think need to be changed, but I will do it through the right means. And honestly, this has always been, been something that I, I'm struck by. Single question. How much time did Jesus Christ and his disciples spend trying to change the politics of their time.
pretty close to zero. So the amount of time that I, in my life, I've tried to invest in trying to change a whole lot of policies has been pretty close to zero, to be honest with you. I am struck by Luther when you go back into the 15th century and you look at his books that he's written. He's a prolific writer. Many of the books, pamphlets, papers that he wrote, he wrote them to governing officials and he criticized them. Hey, you're the public superintendent of schools and you're keeping kids in schools on Wednesday and I'm delivering an, an Advent message on Wednesday in the town square and you, the public school superintendent, looking out for the well-being of these children, need to release them so they can come hear the word of God. That would be Luther. He had no question or qualms speaking to public authorities that way. But he did it under authority. He didn't tell them, I'm commanding you, or if you don't, I'm going to excommunicate you. He said, this is my opinion to you. Luther did spend time working with the, the, the governors of his province. Uh, Jesus, when I look at him, zero. And so I think to myself, okay, what does that say to the church? Where is my focus to be? On souls. And by the way, this is how this, this particular chapter begins. Suke, souls. This is a soul matter. The governance has, has a role to play, and it is for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the, now he changes words from diakonos to liturgeos, the liturgist. That's kind of interesting. Pastor Mike just got up to go do the liturgy. And right here it says, he is the liturgist of God, the one who ushers in an environment in which worship can take place. He is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. That's, that's really the role of, um, of the government. I'm going to say this and we'll, we'll start to close and come back on verse 5. I've always remembered as a kid, my dad used to say, boy, they really don't have a lot of, lot of, he says, Luke, have you ever noticed they don't have a lot of crime in Iran? I'm like, I never noticed that. He goes, yep. He says, unfortunately, uh, when you commit a crime in Iran, they put you on a helicopter to transport you to the prison. He said, a lot of them fall out of the helicopter. And I, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> fear, fear the governance because they are there to bring to bear the sword. I, I'm hoping we can wrestle with this. We'll continue next week in the verse. I hope we wrestle with it individually. Um, and, and you should wrestle with it. I'll tell you that I'm not here to stand over you or tell you, boy, this is what you do. I think we're living in hard times. And there's a lot of us that, that think about, well, are our, our, our freedoms being encroached upon or what, what's going on? I don't blame people for thinking that. Um, there are means, right, right channels through which to address that. But I'll also tell you this. Uh, in the end, um, God says, here's, here's what I do. I, I've created it. The good ones and the bad ones. I'm, I'll put you under it. And it'll be for your good because what, what I'm doing is unperceptible to you. You can't see all the things that I'm doing, even through 
some of the worst rulers that have ever ruled in all of history. God has been at work. So wrestle with it. Um, I know as we face this uh, mask mandate here as a church, we'll wrestle with it as well. Always want to provide room for people to, to, to wrestle and to have their own thoughts and opinions. We'll always do that. Um, but I'll tell you, these are, these are powerful words to us. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, close out, um, man, this is a section of Romans that I think as Christians, we, we're not different than the ones who first heard these words. You've got to be kidding me. Lord, um, you know what? I, will be, I can't be subject to these people. And yet, Lord, um, I don't think there are stronger words in the Bible. And so, Russell, us, what's inside of us to recognize what you're doing is unperceptible to us. It's greater than a politic or a policy. And Lord, the way we do relate to the people in our neighborhoods, on soccer fields we play in, offices that we're working in, the way we relate to people who govern us, all of it matters when it comes to souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a great week, a great Thanksgiving.